0: We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. And they are the very people telling the black man, man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. This is what we are faced with. Next
1: to Black Civics. Black Civics is an educational program dedicated to supporting the ADOS community through podcasts, videos, and courses that will elevate our civic awareness. Together, we discuss politics and government, public policy, political activism, and much more, all in a way that's easy to understand and helps you learn. Black Civics is brought to you by Kimberly Renee Davis, Tony
2: Blount, and Chris Lodgson.
1: Again, welcome.
2: <laughs> yes. Thank All you for right. everyone screaming in. And uh, today we're going to do our first live podcast. Um, where we're going to talk about uh, small business. We're going to be talking about real estate, stuff like rental real estate and um, personal investments and kind of just break down how COVID-19 has impacted those specifically for ADOS. Um, we'll be taking questions at the end and I hope it's super informative for everyone. This will be part of an ongoing series, uh, COVID-19 and the ADOS community.
1: Okay. Well, now, if you haven't checked out all uh, all four of the Black Civics episodes, I recommend that you do that. However, there is one in particular I recommend you listen to if you're new to Black Civics, which is the first episodes of Black Civics, entitled ADOS 101. That particular episode was inspired by thought leaders Yvette Carnell and Tone Talks could both be found on YouTube, and uh, Black Civics Podcast can be found by subscribing to our Facebook page, our website, www.blackcivics.com, as Tony just said, and wherever podcasts to stream. And also, Brother Tony Blount just created a new Black Civics YouTube channel, so please subscribe. Uh, Now, you already introduced the topics, so I'll go ahead and introduce the guests, Uh, Speaking on, we have three special guests with us today, and we're doing this very special uh, Black Civics podcast regarding COVID-19. Speaking on small small business legislation, we have Black Civics Zone, Brother Chris Lodgson. Uh, Speaking on investments in real estates, we have Zarina Harris, who is the CEO of The Note Firm. And speaking on small business, we have Edara Phillips, who is the owner of Zip. Business Services in California. Uh, I believe that's Elk Grove, which is who we're going to start with, right, Tony?
2: Yes, yes. So, Adara, thank you again for coming on, Um, you know, taking your time out with uh, Black Civics here today. Uh, The first question we have for you, um, what should ADOS businesses be doing right now um, to survive COVID-19, and is that different for... uh, Like people who are independent contractors or self-employed, such as like barbers, salons, uh, personal trainers?
3: Oh, thanks, Tony. That's a good question. Right now, the number one thing that businesses should be doing is uh, cash, managing your cash flow. That's going to be the number one most important thing that businesses can do. At this time, we don't know how long COVID-19 is going to happen. We don't know if it's they're going to open the world back up next week. We don't know if they're going to open it back up three months from now. So managing your cash, really um, having plans in place. If you didn't have a budget before, you need to start budgeting. You need to start uh, doing things such as cash flow projections so that you can see where your money's going, how you're spending your money. And um, if if there are any ways of adjusting your spending or looking for alternate methods of income to substitute the cash that you're you're missing um right now it's it's not the time for people to just um really i mean there's government programs out and they're awesome but when you get that cash how are you going to manage it right Right. so that's going to be the number one most important thing to survive this COVID 19 and then even going forward, because we don't know what the economy is going to be like after COVID
2: 19. Hmm. So, kind of following up with that cash flow uh, conversation, like what are some ways that the businesses can manage their cash flow? Or are there some resources um, you would advise people to check out if they're not sure of kind of where to start or how to rein that in?
3: Okay, uh, good question. I'm kind of biased because I'm an accountant. but I have run into almost every single small business I've ever met. They don't have accountants. And, um, I always say it this way. If you get sick, you go to the doctors, right? That's what they specialize in is making people healthy. If your car breaks down, you go to a mechanic because that's who specializes in fixing your car. Right. Right now is the time for people to start building relationships with accountants, bookkeepers, people who have spent their, I specialize in helping businesses. I help specialize in helping businesses, and people always think that um, we we're just here to do numbers. Numbers are just a little. The numbers tell me what you're doing in your business. So there's a lot of bookkeepers. There's a lot of consultants, accountants. Um, you can go to your local SBA. They have resources, you know, that you don't have to pay for. Go on YouTube. Look at a, a YouTube how to do a cash flow projection or how to do a budget. You know, if you don't know Excel, YouTube, Excel basics, but now's the time for people to really empower themselves and educate themselves. And then also seek out advice for those of us who have spent our careers and our, our all of our education and all we studied is how to make businesses successful and survive times like this.
2: Mm, I dig And I would actually say as a side note, that just kind of spurred me thinking about something, just everything you were just saying for small businesses, for those with their you know, personal finances, do the same thing. Like, yeah. Do the same thing in terms of really figuring out how to rein it in.
3: If you get a budget spreadsheet, you can apply it to your business and apply it to your house. You know, um, it's kind of like when we were young, I know my mom, she used to balance her checkbook. Mm-hmm. And she used to sit me down and she used to balance her checkbook. People don't balance your checkbooks anymore, right? No. You just spend, don't get spend checkbooks. Spend, <laughs> And you don't even know what you're spending your money on. I have people all the time tell me I can't afford that. And I'm looking at their books and I'm like, you can afford that because you spend three times that you just don't realize it. So now's the time to really realize what you're spending money on. Even myself, I'm not driving around. I have so much more money. I was like, I didn't realize I was spending that much money on gas. Right. (laughs) So, uh, everything else in my house is going normal, but I was like, I was spending hundreds of dollars every month on gas. So, um, now's the time just to really look at where your finances are going and then also it's a time to start to educate yourself um i mean we have more time and less time right i have more time but i have less time because now my kids aren't in school so i have more time and less time but i mean i've never sat down and really read um a bill that was passed by congress like never before have i done it i've never really just like sat down and read a bill i might have had assignments to read something but In my life, just me, myself, I've never been like, let me just see what Congress passed today, right? right. I I sat down and I wanted to see what passed in the new bill that passed last week because last week they passed the new... update to the cares act yep. and everybody was talking about that but i also saw like they passed a bunch of money going to cruise ships and they passed another bill for something else i'm like wait they passed Ooh. like five bills today
0: More not just ups. that
3: one right mm-hmm. so everyone's just talking about that one but when i looked i'm like they just gave like the cruise ships just about as much money as they small businesses right so this is a time to educate yourself learn how to navigate some of these um different websites and resources because you'll empower yourself. It'll make your business stronger long run. Yeah. over The long run, you know,
2: definitely, definitely. Um, So, so for those businesses that are, you know, in a cash strap position or they need, uh, you know, more to be able to get through this, um, what are, do you know of any possible loans that they can apply for the best way for them to go about trying to get that extra funding to float them through this hard time?
3: Um, well, I mean, I think most people have heard now that the federal government's doing uh, the, the Paycheck Protection Program, right? And the primary purpose of that loan is to substitute your employees pay or subsidize your employees pay for eight weeks. So that's to cover your paycheck. It also covers part of your rent and utilities. Um, so that program received an extra $310 billion of funding yesterday. And you mm-hmm. apply for that through the bank. Uh, you would have to go to your local, um, your bank that you have a banking relationship. They always say go there first because they have some information on you. There's also a lot of small community banks. The community banks were allocated $60 billion so that they can reach um, the smaller owned businesses, the minority owned businesses, because they found that, you know, the large corporate corporations were getting most of the money before. And they, they think that like most of the black business owners would have banked with a smaller bank. I myself in my practice have seen the opposite, but I do see that we all banked at the same bank that didn't have any money, which was Wells Fargo. I don't know why. Um, But I went out to a third-party bank and they also have like FinTechs, the financial institutions such as PayPal, Square, Fundera that you can go to. People are having success there. Uh, The banks are still um, coming and saying, you need to have a bank account with us. You need to have had a bank account uh, by February 15th or January 1st So you can't just open a bank account, but if you find some of the online banks, such as Cross River Bank, they're accepting applications from anyone. If you even PayPal, you can go on PayPal and apply. Um, I I do my bookkeeping with QuickBooks. QuickBooks Capital is accepting applications. Uh, Most of these these third parties, they weren't um, SBA lenders when this program first started. So they got into the game like the day before the money ran out, but they're, they're, but during that week when they were trying to pass that other bill, they got their systems up and running. So um, try those third parties if you can't get into the bank. And they also said you can apply at multiple places. Um, they told each big bank that they can only do $60 billion worth of loans. So try some of the small ones because the big banks have the cool. big, big companies go to big banks, right? right. So um, if people in there are getting $5 million uh, loans, $10 million loans, the money is going to go faster than if you go to the banks where they're, they are. They are you know, doing $5,000 loans or $10,000 loans. That's one program. They had the idle loans. That also received um, extra money through the SBA, but they aren't taking any applications right now. They're still trying to fund the people who applied before. Um, so I'm still getting reports of people that I helped apply within the first two or three days that it was open and they're barely receiving funds. Still, Some people still haven't received funds. Uh, once the EIDL opens up, I feel that that's a better option for most of the small black businesses. And when I say small, small is considered 500 um, employees or less. The Paycheck Protection Program is awesome, especially because it's forgivable. And if it's not forgivable, it's 1%. But the way they're calculating the numbers, um, most businesses, unless you have all your employees on payroll and unless the owner's on payroll, they're not going to receive a lot of money because they're pulling your net income, your line 31 from your Schedule C. And that's your income after all your expenses and after all your tax write-offs, your business tax write-offs. And everybody tries to get that number low so that they don't have to pay taxes, right? A lot of taxes. Well, if that number is low, you take that number divided by 12 and times it by 2.5, that's what you're gonna get. Hmm. So most people, when I I sit down and do the math, I tell them you're better off applying for unemployment. Uh, Hmm. Today in California, the pandemic unemployment opened up and that's gonna be uh, a 767 a week from March 29th until July 25th. And then the dates uh, before that, from February 2nd to March 28th, and then from July 26th on to the end of the year, it's 167, but they might fund that more. So if I'm looking at people's, um, I tell people if if you didn't bring in close to, your bottom line is at least like 30,000, you might want to look at unemployment. And that's where you need to really like do the math, right? Uh, But I do want to remind people if they go and get the unemployment, which is something that they might qualify more than for a loan, right? You don't need any qualifications right now. Self-employed, gig workers, Uber workers can go get unemployment now. You know, you could uh, do DoorDash and you could get unemployment before you couldn't do that. Um, They're giving out, I think I've calculated like $3,058 a month on unemployment right now. So Mm -hmm. most people aren't Mm going to get that through the PPP. So for the employees and even for the business owners, if you, unless you were a corporation, that's probably a better option than what they're going to give you. Because I've seen people with a $30,000 bottom line. And when I do the math, they're not going to get $3,000 a month. So just remember that unemployment's taxable income, so you need to put a little bit of it aside <laughs> Yeah. You know, for tax time. But those there's loans out there. The state's supposed to be coming out with programs. Um, I would say the SBA because that's based off of your gross profit, not your bottom line. Your gross profit is just after you take away your cost of goods sold. If you are doing your math for those applications, you need to know what the terms are because your expenses are not your cost of goods sold, not all of them. Um, but those two federal programs are awesome because they have low interest rates, but I don't think that they're beneficial for, uh, black owned businesses because most black owned businesses, like I said, I found most of them don't have accountants and they don't know how they're like, if you've applied for the idol before and you put in all your expenses, now they're saying they're using your gross profit. You made your gross profit number way too small. Um, and now we're trying to see if we can fix it right? So there's those programs, but you really need to know what you're applying for and how you're calculating things. So you need resources. Uh, The Black community needs to come together with resources that go with the loan programs uh, so that people can actually benefit from it. If you don't have your paperwork right, you're not going to get your loan forgiven. If you don't do your calculations right, you're not going to qualify for a loan that's uh, any, that's going to really help you. All you're going to do is have them run your credit, bring your credit score down and maybe put yourself in debt.
2: So hmm. thank you so much. That was super good info. Um and Hiya. I Yeah. <laughs> um when we come back around, I want to dig more into you know, talking about the new bill that came out also. Um but yeah, that was great info. Thank you so much. Um and I'll let uh Kim go ahead and take it from here.
1: Okay. Uh, well, Serena Harris, thank you so much for being here uh, to weigh in on these very important topics during COVID-19, so we could just get right into it. Um, how is the crisis affecting ADOS housing uh, regarding home ownership as well as renters? And mm-hmm. in your answer, can you give a sense of what the state of ADOS
0: housing was before this crisis? So so I'll start with, uh, can you guys hear me good? Um, yes. I'll start with with what ADO has ADOS housing was before because it only gets worse with COVID-19. Um, you could you could pretty much describe it as a time capsule. So what do I mean by that? We have history and I'm not picking on Chicago just for the sake of it. Chicago's a very important city in terms of the Fair Housing Act because they had a lot of lawsuits against the city for land contracts. So they formed the Contract Buyers League, which was basically a civil rights push against these land contracts that were being written to them because they weren't being uh, underwritten by the FHA. So they weren't able to get um, loans from the government or government backed loans. And so um, their landlords would would finance them using a land contract, which essentially says you are you're the owner, but not really. So what it is, is just a hyped up rental contract. You pay all of the bills you you act like you're the owner but the the problem is is that you don't have any equity protections and you can be evicted uh within 30 days and so what was happening you could have been in the house four or five years paid in all this money made all these repairs to the house and literally you miss one payment and you can be out on the street um it it served as like a 30-day eviction notice just like that but you're a homeowner right so it's this weird uh mix and contradiction so as you can imagine that was sort of like the genesis of a lot of the predatory lending that happened to black people back then regarding housing. So they sued the city and they lost and they sued the city again and they lost. But what it did in those lawsuits was sort of solidified what was happening to black communities as far as housing. That then led to the 1968 Fair Housing Act was a lot of their efforts. So like tips off to to, to the redlining and, and the fight that was in Chicago at the time in the 60s. Fair Housing Act kind of is a stamp, right? It's, it's the stamp, like, where was homeownership? So we're talking about a massive amount of predatory lending, a massive amount of, of neglect from the government to write loans, redlining, all this other stuff. And at that time where discrimination essentially was legal in housing, you had a 41.1% home ownership rate. Fast forward to last quarter in 2019, we had a 44% home ownership rate. mm mm-hmm. So it's really just been stuck in time in terms of ownership within the black community. In addition to that, they came out with new products, one of them being like reverse mortgages, which unfortunately were targeted towards black communities. So we're talking about black people, you know, getting this pie in the sky dream of you're going to give me money to stay in my house. Um, That's great. But then when that person dies, their family's not able to pay off that mortgage and then you know they lose the house. And so really a reverse mortgage is only benefiting the person who took it out, which is like usually silent generation or a baby boomer um, to do it. So we kind of had this battle where the market is sort of locked in, in, in in a lot of cities, like the homes are too expensive for a working class person to even try to buy. Um, places like California, major, majorly expensive, New York, places like that. So you're sort of New like Ireland. forced <laughs> to be, you're forced to be a renter in a lot of these in a lot of these markets. And what happened was with the 2008 crash, um, black homeownership and equity and wealth went down by 50% and we're the only community and race who never recovered from that. But even in that, like at the peak of homeownership, it was only 49%. So you really have in the housing market, uh, a very conscious effort to keep black people renting. And because rent makes mm. people a lot of money. It's a form of wealth extraction, right? Mm. So now that you have COVID-19, you have roughly 60% of the black community who rents, right? And you have a lot of private um, landlords. And so a lot of people rent houses or whatever. Some people are in apartments, but in terms of how many landlords there are to like corporations, there's actually more individual landlords. So it's roughly like four out of five, um, depending on who you're asking. But a good solid 75% of landlords own about five houses or less. So you're talking about people who use your rent money for their grocery money. Now, all of a sudden, we're in COVID-19 and you can't pay them. And so what are they going to do? They're going to want to evict you, right? Because they mm. they're need they looking for money. There's no, there's no compassion or anything that they have to give to you. They're just your landlord. This is kind of their thinking. And so we have a lot of Black people who are worried about being able to pay rent they might not be working the ones who are working they're trying to focus on not being sick now their kids are home so it's like yeah you may not have lost your job because you're in some sort of service thing but but now there's added burden because there's more costs coming out and so in terms of housing for renters um i think COVID 19 has just like understatedly made it way more stressful to to make the rent pay the rent if you can't and you lost your job you're trying to get stimulus checks you're trying to get things on time Um, There's been like harassment where people have screenshotted their landlords on Twitter, sort of harassing them. I know you got your stimulus check, pay your rent, um, which is illegal. Um, And, you know, even like I pointed out on Twitter that um, L.A. actually came up with its own sort of independent way of handling like rent. And one of the things that was written into their bylaws was like you as a landlord, you can't ask your uh, tenant to pay rent with the stimulus money. Right. Because at that time when they wrote it, we didn't know if it was going to be a one time thing or if they were going to write another check, like whatever. Um, But there were some landlords sort of shaking their tenants down. And so you have these you have sort of almost this vulture mentality when it comes to landlords and tenants at this time. Some landlords are cool because they have enough money and they can wait for you to miss a few payments and kind of catch up. But for the most part, most landlords don't have very very many rentals and they're going to kind of like attack you a little bit in terms of trying to get that rent from you. Um, homeownership right now, a little bit better, you know, homeownership is in terms of like being a renter or homeowner is always better. There's a lot more leeway if you're a homeowner. Um, so I did read, uh, the, the, the CARES Act as it related to housing, because that's all I care about. Um, (laughs) and, and it said that they were doing very unique things. So, so one of the things was right before they started talking about housing, they were talking about credit, right? And so if your credit was good going into uh, the crisis, and then all of a sudden you can't make your payments, you can work it out with whoever you owe that money to, to where they won't report that your credit is bad. They have to kind of keep it how it was before you entered into the crisis, right? So that's good. So if you're missing payments, it's not going to affect or it shouldn't affect your credit, but you have to individually talk to whoever that creditor is to say, hey, I'm being affected, and they won't report it or they shouldn't. That's the law. So that's what they're talking about with credit. And then when it came to housing, they were giving 180 day forbearance agreements to federally backed loans. So if you were with Fannie Mae, if you have an FHA loan, a VA loan, um, something like that, then you were going to be granted 180 days of forbearance despite your delinquency. So you don't even have to be delinquent in order to ask for it. Right. Mm. So. It's regardless, it's written in the law, regardless of delinquency. So you don't have to be 30 days behind or 60 days behind or whatever. If you know you're gonna be enduring some sort of financial hardship at this time, you can ask your bank if they're, if they're federally backed to give you a break. Here's the trick though. It's a forbearance and not a deferment. And so a lot of people don't know the difference. What's the difference between a deferment and a forbearance? Deferment, we kind of recognize because a lot of people go to school and they get student loans. So a student loan says you don't have to pay until after you're done with school, right? That's a deferment. They're not adding on anything. They're not adding on any fees. There's no interest. It's just kind of stuck. And then you start paying after. A forbearance means you don't have to pay, but we're still racking up the debt. Okay? So they're still racking up fees. They're still racking up. Well, in the law, I don't think they can apply late fees. But they're still racking up the interest that you owe them, right, on your mortgage payment. So what happens in a forbearance is they'll say, okay, we'll give you the 180 days, which is six months, which I don't recommend taking that long, to be honest, if you can afford not to. But at the end of the forbearance, guess how many months you owe? Six months. Who in the world is going to have six months worth of payment? Because this is black life. You always got an emergency. Mm -hmm. Somebody always need money. Right. And so what I'm going to tell people is if you're a homeowner right now, if you can afford not to and I'm just, you know, for real, if you can afford not to get a forbearance, I wouldn't I wouldn't get it. Because there's so many things that happen in black life that the money will find its way to go fix something, right? And now you're like, it's only a hundred dollars out of the mortgage payment. I'm gonna be fine. And then it happens again and it happens again. You see what I mean? So it's very difficult for, for, especially like in this time to like allocate money elsewhere where it really should go. So if you can afford to like keep paying, you're still working. What it does on the flip side is if you're able to keep paying what it shows your lender is that you're a very strong payer. And you can use that as leverage later to get a modification if your payments are too high, like if you lose hours, you had to get another job, something like that. They're gonna say, okay, what happened during COVID-19? And if they see payment, 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 or at least attempted payment, or like half a payment or something like that, they're gonna say, this is somebody that we can work with. And Mm -hmm. you'll have that leverage later on to say, listen, I have a financial hardship. I'm not making as much money as before the crisis. Can you cut me a break and give me a modification?
1: Ooh, that yeah. was some really good so <laughs> information. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Really good, especially the deferment and the forbearance. I'm sure a lot of people uh, probably need that information. Um, so now. All right. What is the impact on the real estate market short term and long term due to the, this crisis of COVID-19?
0: so uh what's happening in the real estate market is it's slowing down and what happens is you always have a buyer in a seller's market so when when the market slows and you're not really selling as well because i mean who's going to be out buying houses and touring stuff with realtors anyway right so when that slows it starts to become a buyer's market which means houses are sitting for longer and when houses sit for longer to incentivize people to buy them what do they do they drop the price right So the prices go down. So if you're somebody who's looking to buy, right? Or if you were somebody who was in 2019, like, yeah, I really need to buy a house because I'm sick of renting or something like that. um, This is a good time. If you're somebody who owns a house, you just have to kind of brace for the fact that for a while your equity is going to come down a little bit just based on the market around you. Um, Your value is going to go down. It doesn't it shouldn't it shouldn't last a long time. Um, but it is like the market is going to soften, so that's like short term. Long term, it's it's really up to people's behavior. And what do I mean by that? When we're talking about Black people, this is why I say if you can afford not to, don't get the forbearance. Because I know I'm I'm speaking to like people like my mom. So my mom's like, what I could I could not pay for a while. Like that's how she thinks. So I'm like, no, mama, pay pay the mortgage, right? <laughs> and. Because, you know, she always trying to find an opportunity to like sit on her own money or whatever. Right. It's not like she's a nurse. She make like she hasn't seen any kind of impact. Right. But I just right. know her mentality. What happens is this. If you say, you know what, I'm going to get this forbearance. I'll, I'll figure it out how to how to make all that money back and, and like pay them. Nine times out of ten, it's not going to happen. And what happens is now you legally can't foreclose on anybody until they're 120 days late. Right. Mm-hmm. So you can miss 30s. You can miss two payments, you can miss three payments. They can't foreclose on you if you're three months behind legally. Whatever state you're in, that's a federal law. The moment you hit 120 days, you're in trouble, okay? Mm -hmm. So what happens is if somebody takes a six month deferment, now you're two months into foreclosure area and you can't pay them back. So you're taking this forbearance and you're thinking like you're gonna be okay and all of a sudden now you can get an instant foreclosure because you can't pay them back, right? So what happens is a lot of people are gonna do that and not be able to pay. And uh, in the CARES Act, it says you can take out another 180 day forbearance, which I wouldn't recommend doing, but sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do. And what happens is the moment you can't pay, they're going to start foreclosure because they've been sitting on your asset with no payments, no money coming in, no revenue stream for them, right? Whoever your lender is. And so what you're gonna see is a lot of defaults. You're gonna see a lot of people losing their houses. You're gonna see a lot of people looking for modifications, a lot of people with hardships. A lot of properties coming back on the market, a lot of REO. that's long term what's going to happen with this particular crisis, and it's going to be another wealth transfer out of black community and into the hands of the people we know who can who can afford to buy. Also long term, and I hate to say this, but like you got to watch your boomer and your silent generation parents because if they start seeing financial strain, don't be surprised if they get a reverse mortgage to kind of float them through this. Right. So be very, very careful with them. Like, hey, if you're struggling, like if you can help them, what? I don't care. Make sure that you're talking with them because reverse mortgages are going to, in my opinion, they're going to go up in our community because we need the money. Right. Mm -hmm. And so people are going to start getting reverse mortgages to kind of get them through the crisis. They need a little bit of money. And then boom, all of a sudden you come two, three years later down the road and you find out Oh snap, mom put a reverse mortgage on the house. We're never gonna pay this off like you just lost your inheritance due to COVID. Mm. So yeah.
1: My goodness. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. Um well um what are are there for those who have the privilege of um being able to actually invest? At this particular time. Um, what about other investments during this particular COVID 19? And also, is it even a good idea, even if you have the money to
0: invest? Um, it depends on what you're doing. So so this is where I gotta put my investor hat on. So this is this is if you can do it. So I'm not trying to like be no, you know, boot bootstrapper, <laughs> like do for self or whatever, but I'm just saying, like, if you can. The unfortunate thing about us is a, we buy an emotion <laughs> and we don't take care of opportunities when they're presenting themselves. Mm-hmm. If there's a market crash, that's the time to buy because that's when properties are cheap enough for you to afford them. So usually when a market crashes, we get scared, like, nah, I ain't buying no house. Like, uh, uh-uh. you know, <laughs> and we sort of run from it because it's it's in the middle of crashing, like homes are losing value. But unfortunately, with the real estate market how it is, this is probably going to be Unless there's another housing crash, this is this might be for some people the last opportunity for you to even buy a house. Seriously, so come November, December when when houses are just like starting to bottom out, I think we can expect sort of like a ten percent decrease, right? In in real estate, so if the house is a hundred thousand dollars, it might be going for ninety just to try to try to move it off the market. Um, that's the time to buy. That's really the time to buy, and so it's funny because like when everything is in panic mode, that's when you have to kind of be smart. And it's very scary to try to make a big purchase like that in the middle of like a pandemic and all this mayhem. But for those who can afford to do so, this is actually a good time just to like, wait, hold your money now, don't buy anything right now and wait for the market to kind of soften as more and more houses come up for sale. um, Mm -hmm. And then you'll be able to, to take advantage. And especially if you wanted to get into like being a landlord or something like having rental property and income properties, um, you could you could do it, but I would I would hold off for maybe another at least four or five months to let mm-hmm. the market still kind of bottom out and then kind of see where it is in the last quarter, um, because the last quarter, in terms of how banks think, they're trying to shove everything off their books. and so that's when stuff is going to get really cheap. You're going to see a lot of REO and stuff like that. so mm-hmm. that would be my. That would be my recommendation if you can do it. If you're you're renting and stuff like that and you can't afford to do it, just hold tight, you know, like not saying anything. (laughs) I'm just saying, if you can do it and if you're you're into trying to even just buy a house, forget like an investment, just buying a house is an investment in your family, right? So you have to kind of think of it like, like that. Then you have to start thinking, okay, what can I do? And like, I would tell people go get an app, right? They have like Zillow and they've got like all these other apps where you can put in you know how much can i how much can I be funded, right? And you put in your salary and your income and and all these little things, and they'll say, "Oh, you can be financed this much." Now it's never a guarantee, And because you're black, I would put in like a six percent interest rate because you know how they do us. But it'll tell you what you can buy. and if it's if it's within reach and it's it's always going to be lower than rent, then you know you start kind of plotting and planning like if something if something dips to this price in the market, like we might be able to get in there. So that's mm. kind of, yeah.
1: Okay, Um, lastly, um, for those of us um, in this particular crisis who um, actually are landlords, Mm -hmm. what should they do?
0: Hush. No, let me stop, let me stop. (laughs) Let me stop, let me stop. (laughs) So are we talking about white landlords or black landlords? ADOS. (laughs) So if you're a black landlord, y'all need to have a heart because you already know. Um, What I would say, see I got to tread lightly here, if you're a Black landlord and you know, you personally know that your tenant is not working, you really need to like have a heart because mm-hmm. it's more than likely like your mortgage company can can afford to give you a forbearance. Right. So you have to start thinking of, okay, if my if my tenant can't pay me and I can't make that payment, let me contact my lender and see what my lender can do. And based on what your lender can do, have a conversation with your with your tenant and say, listen, and you're not gonna say like, don't pay anything. Just be like, hey, pay $200 a month, right? And just to keep something going. So I know you still wanna live here and we can work something out when all of this is over or, or work something out, you know, moving forward. Um, as a black landlord, that's kind of almost what you have to do because we don't have it, right? We, ju- we just don't have it in our community to, to be that harsh with one another. Besides, no judge is gonna give you an eviction anyway, right, so they're not doing Mm. that. So you have to kind of play the game right. A lot of people evict because they wanna get a new tenant with the money. Well, nobody's gonna be moving right now. So even if you evict, who's gonna come and rent from you? Nobody's, nobody's, everybody's staying in place. So bird in hand is better than two in the bush is is what I'm told, so yeah.
1: Thank you, thank you so much. Okay, back to Tony
2: all right chris chris um so let's talk a little bit about you know the uh the legislation in these topics so um um in your estimation what what were some of the problems with the original cares act um as it relates to ados businesses or you know some of those first phases of legislation that we got for sure um thank you tony uh but just before i even say
4: anything uh uh, I, how can I follow any of that? Right. I mean, uh, from and Idara, uh, uh, thank you both for that. I mean, um, amazing, very sharp, professional, clear, um, well-informed counsel. Um, so, uh, but to your, to your question, Tony, uh, some, some big problems with the CARES Act part, part one, which passed in, um, you know, late March ish, uh, and then CARES Act part two, which passed um uh not too long ago within the last week or so um but before i even go there um i actually want to frame the discussion as we do um and talk a little bit about where black business was right before COVID 19. um and you know myself i've been very fortunate to be working with and alongside black owned businesses here in northern california um and supporting black owned businesses hundreds of them for several years now um, and know really what the condition is like on the ground for black owned businesses. Black owned businesses are um, struggling. Prior to prior to COVID-19, uh, some 94% of all black owned businesses had no employees other than the owner, at least last that we could tell. Um, we don't really collect really good data on black owned businesses anymore too, so that's a big problem too. Um, but right, right before COVID-19, uh, some 94% of black owned businesses had no employees other than the owner. Um, and as a matter of fact, according to, uh, to one study by the association for enterprise opportunity, um, if you broke it down by gender and looked at total revenues on average, uh, if you took a typical median, typical, uh, uh, business owned by a black woman, uh, back when this study was conducted, uh, 2017, I believe, um, uh, typical revenues, or should be average, average revenues per year were about $14,000 okay, per year total. Uh, for for men, it was for for businesses owned by black men. It was about twenty three thousand dollars per year. So better, but not much better. Both of those, um, you know, if those are the only sources of revenue for the owner, um, the the, the person lives in poverty, basically. Right. I mean, there's no way to live and subsist and support a family uh, with that as your sole source of income. So I want to reiterate that uh, prior to COVID-19, at least from the data that we can see, um, if you took the typical black woman owned business, Um, that business was bringing in about $14,000 total revenue per year. And for the man, it was about $23,000 total revenue per year. So here comes COVID-19, right? And we have, um, you know, just devastation across the black business landscape. Uh, I've spoken with, um, dozens of black business owners connected with hundreds. Um, over the last several weeks, we are holding here in Northern California weekly roundtables. Um, with Black-owned businesses, EDAR has actually been a very, very important part of that work, helping us to um, work with Black-owned businesses here in the Northern California region and to, you know, help revive Black-owned business. Um, but we've seen widespread devastation um, across Black businesses, across industry. Um, I have had conversations with business owners who have, who, who closed businesses within the, within the first week of the crisis. Um, there, there are as you know a couple of federal efforts to or a few federal efforts to put money into businesses right cares act one cares act two um and there's some structural flaws uh, within cares act one and some that we see also that remain in cares act two um that really uh uh made it so that we knew from just reading it that black businesses were going to be written written out of this um aid for the for the most part um Mm -hmm. one of the big Big structural flaws, I think, um, was um, the way that the the uh, government decided. Well, first of all, let's let's just let's just talk straight here. The fact that the money for the PPP goes through the banks is a problem. OK, uh, it was a big problem um, because the banks were requiring an existing relationship prior to you, you know, getting the getting the money. Mm-hmm. Um, and by relationship, uh, we're talking about an existing line of credit. And in many cases, an existing business checking account, um, different banks had different rules and different criteria. Okay. Um, in, enabled by the legislation. So the way the, re- the legislation was written, different banks could have different rules and different criteria. Um, and E, e- Dar can, can attest to this too. You know, um, you know, she spent most of her time, and, and a lot of her time on the phone with banks, uh, and, and talking to creditors um and and talking um uh, and trying to get you know what is the application requirement when is that when is the application going to be up online these were different for different banks okay um so not only did you have one to go through the banks right um which in our case as black folks as ados folks who descend from the institution of slavery here right we have had a long history of very bad relationships with banks in our community so oh, any, yeah. any any type of Business funding legislation that writes in you have to have a good relationship with a with a bank is automatically going to write out a lot of black-owned businesses. That's a structural flaw, right, right, right there. Um, not to mention all the other problems with you know banks having different re- requirements for different uh, banks, right? So a big a big problem there. Um, also a big problem in the legislation. Um, it relates very much to the fact that black owned businesses have fewer employees on average. So the way that these loans work is in, in many cases, they're based on um, um, how many employees you have. The more employees you have typically um, the more money you can get, right? The, 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 the payroll formula or the lending formula for the, for the PPP is you take your last year's average payroll, right? You divide it by 12, I think, and then you multiply it by 2.5, right? So the formula itself, means and says that the more employees you have the more money you can you can get the higher your payroll the more money you get that's written into the the formula that's written into the law that's a structural flaw because it structurally advantages businesses with more employees that's just how the law is written quiet is kept um these are also loan programs um you know business owners that i've talked to um while they are grateful that in many cases these loans can be forgiven, they're very hesitant to, to take on any new debt right now, right? So they would prefer grants to be to be to be honest with you. Um, you know, the loans do not um, they they make us less safe right now, especially when we don't know what this economy is going to be like. Uh, you know, next week, two weeks from now, two months from now, later on this year. Um, those are the, those are a couple of the big structural flaws within the legislation as it originally uh, was passed, CARES Act 1. CARES Act 2 did make some changes to um, to, uh, how money was moved, but nothing big, and nothing big enough to um, include Black-owned businesses, at least from what I can tell, in any significant way. Um, There was a $60 billion carve-out in the second version of the the CARES Act for um, community banks. Um, but one, the problem is it still goes through the banks, right? So you, you still have that problem, right? Um, and two, um, uh, the way they structured that sixty billion dollar car about thirty billion of it is for banks with you know with assets be- between ten and fifty billion dollars. and then another thirty billion is with is for banks with less than ten billion dollars in assets. Um, those are you know uh, 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 you know that is um, that's not the kind of funding waiting um, that that we want to see. Uh, if we're if we're trying to get black businesses um, more funding, right, we, we, we would technically want to overweight it to the banks with the with the lower assets, because those are typically going to be um, banks that we do more business with. If we're doing business with banks at all. Right. right. And again, we go back to that original problem. We are not um, we don't have good relationships with with banks at, at, at all um, in some cases, no relationships with with banks. Um, you know, there was some some um, some attempts by the Treasury to and, and some attempts by Congress in the Second Cares Act to, you know, claw back some of the funds that went to these huge businesses and the Lakers and Ruth's Chris and, you know, Shake Shack and all and all that all that good stuff. So there was a, there was an attempt, um, uh, you know, in this new effort to do that. But structurally, fundamentally, not much has changed. Um, and that's a big, big problem because black owned businesses are really, really hurting right now.
2: Mm -hmm. Thanks so much for that, Chris. So um, just a follow-up to that, uh, what are um, some possible solutions for current legislation, ways that we can utilize what's there for ADOS to get something or pushes that we could make for upcoming legislation? Yeah, Um, so that's a good good question, Tony. So
4: from the advocacy perspective, right, um, one, there are a couple of ways to approach it first way to approach it is you could fix and seek to um, amend in the next round of legislation and next round of bailouts which are coming from what we understand um fix all the problems that we just talked talked about but particularly the two big fundamental flaws one that um you 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 want to remove the banks or minimize the role of the banks um as much as possible i would i would eliminate the the, the, the banks Um, from their, from their current role within the uh, PPP program, I would, um, I would recommend that, um, the SBA fund, um, uh, the idle program, the EIDL program, which, um, talked about in a similar way, um, because, uh, in in a similar way as it does with the PPP program, because Mm -hmm. right now the idle program doesn't go through the bank. So at least, um, it's funded directly through the, through the, through the SBA, but the DL program got ten billion dollars in the um, in the uh, CARES Act and or first CARES Act got ten billion dollars. Second CARES Act got another ten billion dollars. Whereas the PPP got three hundred forty nine billion in the first CARES Act and then another three hundred ten billion in the second CARES Act. So you see that the uh, the fund that drives capital through the banks is overcapitalized with respect to. Um, with you know, with, with with respect to the the uh, EIDL program, which is more mm-hmm. black business friendly. Um, so one thing, well, another another legislative fix here. Um, in in addition to removing the banks, you could technically fund the EIDL program either in a similar way or you know just beef up the funding for the EIDL program. Which, as Idar also said, um, it's not taking applications right now. Um, that's that's a better um, fit at least in theory for um, for black businesses over the PPP program. Um, a couple of other legislative fixes too, right? So one, you know, get rid of banks, fund the EIDL program, um, really take a look at that lending formula um, because it's structurally bad. Uh, any formula, any lending and any award formula that, that advantages businesses with more employees is mm-hmm. gonna be bad for black owned businesses. So we need an alternative lending formula um, written into the law that, the banks or the SBA must use. So those are are a a few um, fairly simple legislative fixes, right? Um, There's another alternative too, um, which would be to carve out within any new legislation, carve out a specific set aside for black owned businesses. Okay, Um, carve out a specific grant funding, a specific new forgivable loan funding, and possibly even look at some new contracting um, for, um, black-owned businesses specifically targeted within this new legislation or any new legislation that's coming up. So you have a, a couple of different approaches. You could fix what's bad about the one that's, you know, there now, or you could create a whole new one that's specifically for our, our folks.
2: Hmm. Thank you. Thank you for that. So kind of follow up to that in terms of, so we, we've talked about what should change in the legislation, but here Black Civics, one of the things that we're really big on obviously is the actual civic engagement for ADOS. So what are things that whether you're a small business owner whether you're a homeowner or a renter or just someone that's concerned about um, how all of this has had an impact on ADOS, what are some ways that we can advocate politically or things that people should be doing either with their local government or with the federal government um, in order to make a change?
4: I'll take a stab at that. And then definitely you know if others have have um, have thoughts, uh, please feel feel free to jump in. So one, um, you know, I, I'm a community organizer at heart, so you know the first thing I say is find other people who are in a similar situation like you and join out and and, and join forces with them. Um if you're here in the, if you're here in the in the Northern California area, Check out, you know, you'll find ADOS Sacramento, find SAC Black Biz, right? Find Max Reach, find, find black business groups that are organizing and, and that are bringing other black businesses together specifically. Um, so one first thing you want to do is um, organize. There's, there's no way that this doesn't happen, but there, there's no way that, that this happens without um, solid organizing among the black business community, which really hasn't been very organized, um, at least from what we can tell. Um, and so. Um, organize, right. The second thing though is to advocate, right. And so we've been encouraging folks to want to reach out to uh, their legislators and their government officials at every single level. Uh, we've been putting out uh, through um, through ADOS Sacramento and and all out um, through um, all of the ADOS channels. Uh, we have a couple of scripts out right 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 now, a call and call in an email script that you that you can use. Um, but make make your make your voice heard, right. Um, advocate. Um, Call Call your legislator. Call your call your um, congressman. Email. Um, show up and visit in person. Now that's not um, very doable right now uh, because of the pandemic. But most of the legislators are doing virtuals and doing calls and conference calls. So uh, show up and pull up to a Zoom meeting. Pull up to a conference call. All right. Make sure that you know that black businesses' voices are not ignored right now, especially right now. Yeah. Um, let me, let me let me stop there. I definitely want to get some other thoughts. Uh
0: so I'll I'll give a few things. One thing that we can't forget is before before COVID came, we were we as a community were really struggling with the fact that a lot of where we live was now opportunity zones. Right. And so so we already had sort of the eyeballs of, of predatory capital coming in and they're gonna start gentrifying. Now you're combining that with a softer market where where things get cheaper. And so, you know, you have to kind of think it's it's hard being black. Sometimes you got to think about everything. And so, you know, you got to worry about being sick and being the demographic that's sort of becoming the, the face of the, of the disease. But then you also got to think about how am I going to continue to su- support myself as, f- as far as the roof over my head and not get gentrified out of here in six months when all the capital comes in because houses are cheaper. So that's one thing, but then we also have to talk about the homeless, right? Cause we're 50% of homeless families and 40% of the overall homeless. So people don't even have a home right? What are they doing? And how are they being taken care of? Because you can't be out on the street and, and have diseases just run, running rampant. They're not going to take care of you at the hospital anyway, because you're ADOS. They're just not, they're not going to believe you. They're not going to, and, and so you're ADOS and homeless. So um, it's it's really critical right now that that everybody kind of pay attention to that. And I I really hate to be morbid, but like there's a lot of our elderly who are dying. So you really have to kind of get a grip on finances, make sure the house is secure, if something ever happens to grandma or grandpa or whatever, because that's the last thing you wanna do is come out the other end of this and like lose your inheritance, right? Because somebody died and you weren't able to take care of a situation or, or take over or, or anything like that. So unfortunately, it's just it's just an added burden on top of the oppression that we already have in this country, but you really have to pay close, close attention to housing, especially if you have family members who own something um, because there's going to be a lot of predators trying to get at that, right? Like, hey, you know, we'll pay you to stay here, you know? So um, be very, very mindful that you are the face of renters. They don't want you to own anything, right? And so it's only going to be amplified now. I think homeownership, as far as our community, and I have to say black because they don't distinguish ADOS, but when I say black, it's, it's ADOS, um, you know, it's still slipping, right? And so a lot of a lot of the homeowners that we have now are only homeowners because they're boomers. And so what are they going to do to try to get through the crisis? And you have to kind of talk to them. Don't get a reverse mortgage. Like, let us know if you need help or whatever. So, that would be my my last little uh, warning to to what's going to happen. But yeah, it's going to get rough.
4: Um, Tony, can I jump in real, real quick? Just one one more thing, um, uh, if you don't mind on this on this question, because. Um, there's one there's one other thing um, so you know what can we do right know, community organized public advocacy right um, community service okay and and I'm community relief um, sometimes and this may just be the way you know I was brought up in organizing but sometimes you don't see you helping out the unhoused and the homeless in your area, or you, you know, providing some sort of community service for the elderly in your area, folks who can't, you know, get get um, get uh, groceries. Sometimes you don't see that as political. Um, mm. uh, there's there's nothing more political about that, right? Like like they, like that's some of the most political stuff you could do, right? Is right. actually serve your community right now, um, uh, especially since we have government agencies that are not doing their job at all um mm. some of you know work with work with us with um ados sacramento we we uh, are regularly um supporting um at least one homeless camp here mm. in the sacramento area and we've been since the crisis has unfolded we've been out to the to the camp we've been giving out sandwiches Good. we've been giving out flyers information um, we've been having conversations with people um you know some some folks who are who were unhoused did not even know there was a virus going on right you know because you take for granted the fact that you get information right as somebody who is you know a part of the you know the housed world you know mm-hmm. um, so um uh, get involved in your community's relief efforts safely but get involved in your community's relief efforts as best you can right now too is another thing that we can do um that's that's some of the most political work you could do if you think back to the panthers if you think back to our our own history and our heritage here mm-hmm. as political activists yeah. we that's what, that's what we do we serve on the ground right mm-hmm. and there's nothing right there so, so that's one other thing that I want to add to please get involved with the community service yeah hmm.
0: we, we absolutely can't forget about our homeless because we're the only people who are going to care about them honestly.
4: So true. I think you die. I think I think I think. I think you're, I think you're muted.
3: You're
0: Sorry about that.
2: So, <laughs>
3: if I could say anything, too, you give in the way that you can. Yep. Right. So, if you can't go out, you give the way you can. You know, everybody can help somehow. I, I keep seeing people say, "I'm an essential worker," and um, everybody has something that they're doing that's essential. Everybody, I mean, Mm -hmm. everybody has a skill that's somehow essential in this in this world today. It might not be what you think it is, okay? Because I'm technically an essential worker because I also work in a hospital. But I looked at the hospital and I looked. Then I looked at my community. So I work Mm -hmm. in a hospital, but I also have a degree in an accounting and an accounting background. And I said, really, right now, where is it more essential that I put my time and my effort? I could be at work making money right now, but instead I'm doing consults to people for free. And so everybody can help. You might be able to do something that you didn't even think about. My kid took sewing lessons like seven years ago. She's over here sewing masks, you know, like Mm -hmm. everybody. And she was like, mom, I have a sewing machine in the garage. And I was like, (laughs) take the sewing machine out, you know because I, I had friends in the hospital who needed masks. So I was like, I can get you guys some, I can tell my kid to sew some masks for you she could figure it out. Everybody has something that they, and my other ones, they can't do it. They were sewing them by hand, you know, the little ones. So they were sitting in there stitching up masks and we put some in envelopes and mailed them out to people that we knew needed masks because they had things they needed to do. You know, um, right now, everybody can give back because the way I see it is this like, this is a global thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And if you look out for people, it, it comes back to you. Right. Yeah. It's always like, you treat how people how you want to be treated, and especially for those um, in this community. I mean, I was raised that like you look out for each other, you know, in any way that you can. Chris, I can't go out there and, and you know pass out sandwiches, but hey, I could drop off some bread, you know. And so it just go. depends on what you what you <laughs> can do, right? Everybody can do something, or I could tell you when there's toilet paper at Costco. Uh, Everybody can do something right.
0: They girl. That. The we need a- <laughs>
3: right and um and then also what you were saying about the legislation advocate because they keep changing the laws and rules on these these loans and programs every yeah. single day i had to look so before i even do a call i have to look and say like how did the world change now versus this morning yeah. and it's crazy yeah. because they are making out let me just give you guys one example they said if you as long as you were in business for the ppp you can qualify as long as you're in business by February 15th, but yet the applications take a 12 month average. Thank you. So if you're going to take that, they're automatically and a lot of the calculators just automatically divide what number you put in there by 12. So why are they, why are they coming up with criteria and don't come up with the calculations for that? They barely came up with it today. Right. You know, how long does it take the banks to, uh, to, to redo their systems? By the time they redo it, the money will be gone again. It's gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is what happened the first time. This is what's happening the second time. And then they're saying, it's if it's your bottom line, No, I'm sorry, but any business class you ever take, they're going to tell you your first year in business, you're probably not going to make a profit, yeah. right? So if you're not making, if you don't have a profit on line 31, guess what? You disqualify for that program. So people really need to speak up when they're being sent out notices saying, sorry, you don't qualify or when they go on to these applications and they're actually seeing that, you know what, they're asking for stuff that I don't have. Why do you Mm -hmm. ask me for a 2019 Schedule C when they extended the tax deadline to July 15th? (laughs) How are you requiring something that's not yet required,
0: right? So
3: who benefits from that? The person who has a tax person. Who doesn't benefit from that? The person who's barely trying to figure out how to buy food and now I gotta pay the tax guy? Like, I can't get that done, right? Then you're going to try to sit there and do your schedule, see yourself, mess it up. And then they're going to come knocking on your door in a couple of months. It, you need people really need to um, find the community organizations that are speaking up and speak up. Our voice needs to be louder because you hear the little stories. I hear them because I'm actually working with businesses. But almost mm-hmm. everyone I, I um, work with, they don't know. They're like, I don't know how to do this. the other thing is is that they took away the legislate they said that we were supposed to do this for free you know agents accountants whatever to help people we can't charge but then the they're not making the banks uh accept our applications for agents so how are you gonna you know so so the people who would be in the community helping to do this you know when i first started doing this there were all kinds of accountants and we were just like okay cool you know, we'll be able to, because a lot of our clients are like, their business is closed. Like if your business closed, I'm not gonna tell you pay me bookkeeping this month. I'm, I'm not gonna ask for that. So we were like, okay, this is a way for us to get income. Then they said, no, you can't charge to help people. Get it from the banks. So we were like, okay, we'll get it from the banks. And the banks were like, yeah, no, we're not splitting our profit with you. Wow. So people just stopped helping. You understand? Like they made it too hard. So when you're running into these problems, people really need to make their voice heard. When you're there's pro- When there's programs where the... You can't find anyone to help you because people. You don't have any money to pay them. But even if you had money, the people are like, I, I can't take it, you know. Um, and the application doesn't fit your your situation, and the bank is saying that you had to have a relationship, like you had to have a genie ball, and you had to have known this was going to happen, uh, in order to have it happen, um, be able to put the application in. You need to. We need to join our forces and say, you know there's 50,000 people that were able to apply. You guys keep asking for even the the polls. I see they're like, what happened when you applied, like with your application, what mm-hmm. happened when you tried to apply and realized I don't even know what I'm doing. And you just stopped.
0: It's terrible. It's terrible anyway, because the SBA has a history of, of discriminating against ADOS anyways. Yeah. You know? And so it's like you, you're sending it is, you might as well have sent that thing to the KKK. Okay. Go get some money from over there. Okay. <laughs> and then you see see big
3: companies like like i just saw the one today the lakers got one and i'm like really so if i'm trying to advocate for my client and then the like someone from the lakers called in they're gonna put they're gonna hang up on me and just be like your paperwork so um they also need to redefine the the idea of a small business because 500 people is not small
2: true Mm -mm.
0: no
3: it's
2: absolutely
0: not
3: you know they, they really need to redefine and just remember the people who are writing these laws They've never lived, they, they don't even, they can't even imagine what it's like to live paycheck to paycheck, you know? No. Um, so they're just, they're writing the laws and like, everybody has a few bank accounts and everybody, no, not everybody's friends with the banker and not everybody does that. So you just have to remember who are writing the laws. I mean, in the beginning, I was real optimistic when things started coming out, I had to stop and stay, take a step back and be like, who's running the country and <laughs> who's making these laws. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have a problem. We need to like join forces and really, you know, if we could do a call and get everybody on there and do a head count, you know, show our faces of really who's, who's missing out, how many businesses are here, new businesses, um, all of these people that are just missing out on all these programs, because if our businesses don't survive, um, it's going to affect everybody, right? It's not just a business, it's your livelihood, it's your life's work. Um, it's going to be, you know, you're not only going to not be able to provide for yourself, Uh, but you're not gonna be able to provide for your family, your kids, you know, you're helping, you can't help your parents. You can't do anything. How are you gonna help the community if you can't help yourself, right? So,
0: yeah.
2: Wow, thank you for that, thank you for that. Um, So we are gonna take some, I think we have at least one question that someone sent in ahead of time, and then we are gonna take questions from the viewers. We won't go too long, take maybe five questions or so from the viewers. Kim, did you have the question that was already submitted? Or? Uh, no, I didn't. Okay, I can go ahead and let me put that up. So this was uh, a question submitted from Twitter, and you know anyone can take uh, answering this. Um, with all of the elder ADOS deaths we're hearing of, what do you think the ADOS home ownership rate will be after uh, COVID nineteen? Considering that most of them were homeowners and ADOS millennials are not. Oh, you know, this is actually specifically uh, for yeah, Kim. You want to answer that? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um,
0: So, so how is this affecting how is this affecting home ownership, basically? Yeah, Uh, considering millennials don't own anything. Mm -hmm. So, what what's unique about millennials is like white millennials don't really have anything in terms of like other white people. Like they have more than us but in terms of other white people that don't have much. And so what's interesting is like being a black millennial is as close as you're going to get to being a peer with somebody who don't have anything either. The problem is, is that they have parents and grandparents who are going to pass down everything to them. So they're, so they're going to be broke with you in college. And then when they graduate and grandma dies, cause she had COVID or whatever, then that goes to their parents. And now a lot of the elderly are thinking about, well, you know, they're thinking about mortality. So they're already starting to put things into play to pass it down. So what's going to happen is if you don't start talking to your family about where's this house going? okay, Mm -hmm. and what's the life insurance look like? Do we have any life insurance? Like if you don't start having these hard conversations and I know in terms of like ADOS life, sometimes it's hard to have financial conversations and it's hard to have a conversation like, this house isn't worth what you're paying on it or whatever like anything that's a hard conversation especially in regards to like what your inheritance is like if your grandparents own even a dilapidated house a dilapidated house is better than nothing right because it's still a yeah. structure and so you have to, you can't really think of it like well i don't want that house anyway let me tell you something when you are homeless that house looks like a palace right yeah and you're probably one rent payment away from being evicted. So let's be honest, like how how close that line is. So in terms of COVID-19 and all this other stuff, I think really what it's doing is forcing people to have a conversation or at least creating the environment where you have to have these conversations with your parents, your elders or whatever. And also, you know, if you can consolidate houses, you might want to do that. You know, it sucks and it's just kind of like, but if you're renting and you're renting and you're renting and like we ain't got it between all of us maybe we can talk and have a conversation about what this really looks like moving forward because you know, all that independent stuff is going to go out the window, to be honest, some people are going to be losing houses, moving in with family. So you might as, mm-hmm. as well have the conversation. Like, do we have room to do that? Yes. No. Is uncle Betty coming or, you know, uncle Tony coming over here with aunt Betty. Cause you know, <laughs> we can't afford them, you know, whatever. Like those are the conversations you're going to have to have, especially now. Um, and especially like, unfortunately, as people are dying, right. If somebody dies and they ain't got a will, Probate courts are not open, right? And so, like, these Ooh. are real conversations that you have to have um, with your family. So that's kind of what I see COVID doing is is the boomers who do have stuff are the most at risk. And if they start dying out or they start getting affected or they start thinking, hmm, maybe I'll get a reverse mortgage, it's, it's going to be a very bad predicament for you. So start having the conversations about what this stuff looks like. Um, and start looking into trusts. Like a lot of black people are scared to like put stuff in their name, get a trust. Right. I don't have nobody I trust. Well, that's a different problem. All right. I can't solve that. (laughs) You ain't got one person in your life. You trust. I can't solve that. Yeah. But like really start thinking about these kinds of things. um, Because, you know, this is what white people think about, you know, and they think about that and how they're going to take what you have. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have to have these conversations.
2: Mm, Thank you for that. Thank you. Um, and this this next question is kind of for anyone, now. regarding this this fourth phase of, of legislation that just came out, um, is there anything in this new bill that may help ADOS uh, small businesses or that may help in uh, in terms of real estate, and um, how can they ensure that they get those funds if there is anything in this new bill that is helpful at all?
0: Is that a question for me?
2: Sure, you can take it away. No, well, I've got to answer <laughs> all the questions.
0: <laughs> So repeat the question: uh, If it, if there's anything in this new bill, I mean, I'm
2: I'm the happy bill. to give it a shot. In this new bill that just came out, I think it came out uh, last week. Um, is there anything in this either for real estate or for small businesses, either one?
0: Well, I haven't read the new bill. So. I I've, I have parts
3: of it. Like I said, like it, it updates for for me for the financial the, the small businesses and mm-hmm. the the programs, the loans that it updates every single day. So today they just came out with. Um, an executive order that actually is now giving them the, the calculations for seasonal workers and for new businesses, Well, it's seasonal workers. So they're saying you can go and look at uh 12 weeks back if you're a new business. And they're also, you know, like I said, for small businesses, uh, new businesses, they're looking at that 12 month um, period. So they're doing that. They're actually putting the calculations out, even though they've said it, you know, it's been lit since the third, and it's now the 28th. So 25 days later, they've come up with the calculation um, in the new bill. And they also, um, like I said, they put up, they allotted 60 billion to the small community banks. That was their way of trying to reach reach more people. They also took away the stipulation that you can only apply at one one institution. So Mm -hmm. you can apply multiple places because what's happening is they're running out of money. And if, You think about it, you go to a big bank, they have 30 million uh, clients. You go to a small bank, they have 5,000 clients.
0: Mm
3: -hmm. You're at the end of the line in both of them, right? With your application, which line would you rather be in the end of? So now you can apply a bunch of places and you don't know, you don't know how many applications they have sitting there. So you can apply multiple places. What people were doing, they would apply. And then they found out, oh, my application was still sitting on someone's desk when the money ran out. Um, And um, they're just, they're, they're actually, you know, they're, they're, lis- they're listening and they're actually, uh, starting to implement some of the things that people were complaining about. That's what I could say came out on the new bill, right? They put some more money mm-hmm. out there and then they actually started, you know, people were saying, how can we apply? They don't have the calculations or the banks are closed. Would it, the banks start taking applications? Where are we supposed to go? Um, that was the main thing I saw that they did. They also put in that, um the order that said that the businesses that received, they clarified the need for receiving the funds because it's before they said like, if you were negatively affected by COVID-19, like who wasn't negatively affected, right? (laughs) People think like the world's gonna end because they can't go outside or they can't go to the beach. They can't get their nails done. I'm like, no, there's worse things like dying, but- so it, at first it was saying negatively affected. So that's why you see all these big companies. And it was not even right now. It was like, if you foresee something negatively affecting your, your company. Now they've, they've clarified the language saying that if your business has not been negatively affected and you took out a PPP, you have until May 7th to return it back. So I'm guessing that after that, they're going to start actually really looking into who received funds and and mm-hmm. asking you for proof of, why did you apply for this? How's your business doing? So they gave them until May 7th to give the money back, which to me to said after May 7th, they're going to start doing something because people, mm-hmm. like you know, um, those posts went viral. But I mean, that's one of the things that are coming out. They're not in the law. So every single day they're adding like little addendums to it. Mm-hmm. And you find them on the U.S. Treasury website and then they have a date. And every single day you'll find something, something yeah. up there. Um, so, I mean, it, it came out with it. And it came out as a result of it because the new bill, when the money ran out, people start talking about it. And then um, because of that, I mean, it was already in the in the process of being, um, going through, you know, being passed. So they couldn't add it into the bill, but they started putting all these addendums in, you know, and and putting dates in and, and clarifying the language in the original bill. So, um, I mean, that's what yeah. I see coming out. And like, you, like Chris said, they're gonna have a, a new bill coming out number four and a number five and they're even going to have to change the date they said june 30th on the ppp if you can't get the money out until the middle of may how are you going to say eight weeks has to be over by june 30th simple math is going to say that's like six weeks right not eight right so um the bills are going to have to constantly change um but they're i mean i guess they're trying they're trying <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs>
4: Tony, I want to add something to that, too, um, just a little yeah. bit, uh, just to follow up with um, with what both um, uh, Dara and Zarina said here. So uh, in terms of the um, what you know, what's better about this new bill than the last bill? Uh, uh, again, structurally, not much. Right. Because, again, the, 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 the big structural impediments for our people um, are the, the fact that the banks are running this program yeah. and. That the money goes to the banks for the bigger program, right? Um, and also the lending formula, the award formula is built in a way that advantages businesses with more employees. So those are two fundamentally structural uh, problems, those haven't those haven't changed yet. Um, there is a, there was the carve out for the for the for the smaller banks, like like we said, um, some issues around how that was weighted too, right? Um, uh, I do think though that there, I. Uh, I, I get the sense that Congress was listening to a lot of the feedback that that they were getting. I don't, you know, I don't think they got it right in the second uh, try here. Uh, uh, I, I I know they're working on a third try and some more tries, um, but I do think at, at least it, it looked like they were starting to make some marginal some marginal changes around the edges um, for this second um, bill that you know um do that it's it's walking along the right path it's just walking very very slowly and by the time it gets to where it needs to be you know uh it's going to be too late um to be to be to be um honest with you um i i like the fact that that they put another 10 billion dollars in the idle loan the um and by idle we we mean um economic injury this this disaster loan um, i like the fact that another ten billion dollars went in, in in there i think that needs to be like multiplied by like ten to, to be honest you know um because that is the more small that is the more black business friendly program right that doesn't go through the banks at all that's i that go straight mm-hmm. through the through the um S, sBA um but you know you know if, if i if I have to give it a grade you know i mean it it's it's still not passing um with with respect to what our businesses need
2: yeah mm-hmm. Man, situation's dire. Um, so, before we kind of wrap up here, does anyone else have you know any additional comments to make, or anything they want the audience uh, here, at Black Civics and those live to uh, know? Um, any information on resources or anything else they should be doing right now? Uh,
0: I just want to put in a, a like a little word for. Um, I think I think what this what this whole thing has done is really point a picture on how important local politics is in terms of like the government basically shoving it off to the states and and even and even how insufficient our organizations are if we get one more town hall where they blame black people for being the face of COVID, i'm going to scream right and they don't hear us when we're saying like no this doesn't help us this doesn't help our businesses and so um i think now is a time if you're an ados and you've been sort of struggling to get your family or your friends on board in terms of like what we're pushing for and what we're talking about now is the time to really have that serious conversation like this is what we've been talking about for the past 3 years and now it's in your face now you understand you don't have any money now you understand you need help now you understand when the government picks winners and losers we're always the losers so that's like this is the time and then the second thing i wanted to bring up was when when they decided to do the stimulus package there was a lot of chatter like, oh, y'all could write this check for six trillion dollars, but you can't do reparations. And so kind of keep that conversation <laughs> going, but also understand how much more involved you need to be because they wrote a check for small businesses and the vultures came. If they if they willy nilly try to write a reparations check, white people going to take 50 percent of it. They're going to figure yeah. it out. So that is the time where you get politically involved and you say, nope, we need very specific redress. It has to look like this. And the only thing we're going to do is just get friends, get family members, get your family chapter, as Princess Six would say, um, get them on board. Because if they're not going to listen to you now when they're really hurting, they're going to listen to you for the rest of the year.
2: Mm. Mm, that's facts right there.
4: Um, uh, I will add if um Ithar, you don't want to jump in here. I have one just to plug for one. You Ithar has an amazing business resource. Um, Ithar has been volunteering her time partly because the legislation was written bad and they won't let us pay her, right? Uh, which is another problem, okay? Um, but uh, uh, she's been an amazing resource uh, as well as a number of other business prof- professionals. But I just, just want to highlight her uh, as someone who has been providing amazing pro bono service. Um, uh, we've been meeting, uh, doing roundtable discussions with black business owners here in Northern California three times a week, um, uh, uh, Wednesdays at 3 p.m., Saturdays at 9 a.m., Sundays at 1 p.m. Uh, every single week for us, for many weeks now, um, talking with dozens of black owned businesses um, and offering free advice, free coaching, free counseling Um, The Stack Black Biz uh, Service, which we run here in Northern California, which is a program that I helped start um, several years ago, provides free marketing and free social media marketing specifically for black-owned businesses. Uh, So that is a resource for you as well. If you are a business owner and you want uh, some additional pump in your marketing right now, that is a resource that's there for you. Um, You're also totally invited to join us. For the wednesday roundtables and this in the saturday and sunday workshops if you're a business owner and you need some high quality professional advice from the likes of ita we've had um we are regularly bringing on folks from inside the sba who are joining us for these roundtables to talk to black owned businesses i want to shout out corey williams with the, um, um sba who's been joining us um, to provide direct consult and direct coaching to black owned businesses in a way that we don't get it Right. We usually are the last person to find out something and we get it from the least quality source Right, and it's and it's too and it's too late I want to shout out these professionals because they've stepped up to to give us the good game Very early very fast in the most high professional way. So just want to make that known as a resource that's available
3: out there. We're building up our community
0: Yep
2: that's,
3: that's, that, to me, it's awesome. I mean, helping all these business owners and meeting all these people, you're meet, meeting like-minded people. And I have had so many people say, I I've, I've wanted to find other people who were like this, but I didn't know where to find them. It's funny because we're sheltered in place and we're all stuck in our house, our homes, and we're meeting more people now than ever before. <laughs> right? So you're making all these connections and we just have to make sure that after Corona, we don't forget about everybody. It doesn't mm. stop, you know. It just grows. I keep telling people I can't wait to actually meet you in person, you know. So <laughs> I'm like, after this, we're having a barbecue. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we could all go
3: outside. But you know, it's I think it's awesome that we're we're making these connections and we're we're seeing that the support is there, you know. We the yeah. the it's there within our community, um, and so if we just reach out to each other and. And, you know, network, I'm trying to network as many people as possible. I thought networking was like something corny people did. Like, you know, you go to those little talk for two minutes and move to the next person, but this is networking, right? Every single time you stop and talk to somebody, you know, grow your network of people you know. Um, it's it's a wonderful thing. And and together, I mean, what we haven't said is why don't we have any black banks so we do not have to worry about nothing? right? That's what's me. I keep thinking, I was, like, I was like, we need to we need to really think about what we need to do next time. <laughs>
0: there we go. That's why we ain't got no black banks right there. there you go. I mean, oh, I'm no, like,
2: seriously, I'm like,
3: as many problems as this we're having, I can't even find a black banker to send people to, not to mention a black, like we really need to to think and put our minds together because we're so talented. We're just we're not we're spread out in a lot of places or we're not thinking about it. But if we put our minds together, we can do great things. Um but, yeah, my thing is, like, we need to have it, we need to use this as a stepping stone so the next time something like this happens, because this isn't going away, um, it, it's, <laughs> this is not going to go away. And because they shut down the, the world once, I think they'll be like, oh, we can shut it down again, you know, but this, the next time something happens, we'll be prepared.
2: Okay. Uh, definitely. And where can everyone find the three of you on uh, social media? Don't um, find me.
0: Would... Leave me alone. <laughs> Twitter. Uh you can find me on Twitter at Zarina Harris.
2: All right.
3: Okay, so my kids have old, so they say I have like the old people Instagram. I still have Facebook. That's all I have. Ain't nothing it, wrong. With it's that. Phillips.
4: Okay. <laughs> so. And I'm Chris, uh ADOS Sacramento. You can find me uh at uh, ADOS Sacramento. Um Chris Larson, Facebook, Twitter, Chris does ADOS Politics. Um uh, Instagram, sack black biz, Facebook, sack black biz, uh, yeah.
0: You're doing too much, Chris, but okay. I'm doing a lot. I'm
2: doing a <laughs> lot. I'm about to get more busy. I got some
1: All right. Cool.
2: <laughs> <laughs> awesome, Kim. Kim, take us out.
1: Okay, um, I would like to thank our three very special guests for educating our community. Uh, Black Civics own Chris Lodgen. Lodgen um, Serena Harris, CEO of the Note Firm, and Idara Phillips, owner of Zip Business Services. And a very special thank you for everyone who tuned in to part one of this Black Civics very special COVID-19 series. Please tune in to part two of the series where we will dig into personal finance and welfare and we'll discuss the impact COVID-19 and all these new bills have had on the ADOS community um, in regards to our personal finances and general welfare, Um, the date and time of part two, of this very important series will be announced on our Black Civics Facebook page. Don't forget to subscribe and also share this. Um, And as you know, Black Civics is an educational program dedicated to supporting the ADOS community through podcasts, um, videos, and courses that will elevate our civic awareness. Together, we discuss politics and government, public policy, political activism, and much more all in a way that's easy to understand and helps you learn. Black Civics is brought to you by Kimberly Renee Davis, Tony Blount, and Chris Lodgson. Good evening, friends.